Hey everybody, Keith here, live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab, and um, we're supposed to be playing with some Coldplay today, but uh, we're having some challenges, but we hear some, po- we'll, we'll put some Coldplay in in post, because we got to get some tunes into the podcast. Hey listen, I'm excited to be here today, it's Friday, end of the week for everybody who's paying attention, uh, who's watching this live instead of on demand. We've got a special guest today, Sardar Akhmadov, we're going to talk entrepreneurship, talk about business, and uh, in this attention economy. Uh, you know, I did a little bit of reading on Sardar, watched some videos, listened to some podcasts. I think we're gonna have an entertaining chat today. I think he's gonna keep everybody's attention. So, uh, stick around for a you know very shortly. We're gonna introduce Sardar to the scene. If you haven't heard the last two shows, we're brand new to this stuff here in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. Check out Wednesday, Oliver Brown. Check out yesterday, Nicole Bernard, and of course today. Let's flip the screen to a dual screen. Sardar, welcome to the lab. Welcome to the Business Athlete Performance Lab. Thanks for having me, Keith. How's it going to be here? Yeah. How are you today? Doing really well. Yeah. It's Friday here, you know, (laughs) super excited. It is Friday. So it's funny. Let's, let's just, you know, um, kind of, kind of working a flow to my interviews and getting into things with folks. We want to kind of do things a little bit differently. Keep, keep, keep people, keep it entertaining, keep it light. So Friday, you're an entrepreneur. I'm going to think that Fridays mean no different to you than Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, do they? That's true. That's true though. Yeah. I mean, trying to keep a little more time with family lately, but overall, totally. I mean, there's no, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, especially like, you know, building a, a big business, you know, have ambitions like all entrepreneurs do. There's definitely not much difference between a Friday and a Monday for sure. So how do you manage that? How, how do you manage that whole idea of, like how, how, do, how do you not let the days blur into each other? I think a lot of people probably paying attention to this who are business athletes think to themselves, well, man, Monday's no different than Friday. Do I celebrate a weekend? How do, how, do you, how do you delineate the difference? Yeah, I mean, I do give myself a little bit of a time off for sure. Like, you know, uh, on Fridays, I do have a poker yeah. game, you know, evenings with other entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I keep it like, call it like an edutainment type of thing, you know, time for on weekends um i'll uh a lot of times be by the pool like on saturdays kind of chilling but also on my on my laptop looking for deals looking for (laughs) things to learn in business so you know it's like kind of chilling but also i can't help myself but not read like a business book or uh you know start taking some courses like i have my uh business acquisition acquisition courses on saturdays for example you know live uh and then i I'll, i'll read a business book things like that so like it's it's less hands-on work type of thing because my team is off on weekends okay uh it definitely like that that business mindset doesn't doesn't leave you even on weekends when you're running a business for sure yes 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 you know i'm gonna get us to pause one second it's got a text from roland here i'm gonna check a little uh tech issue here so let's just pause for one second i'm gonna throw the screen to a tech pause screen and i'm going to make a change here to um Yeah, we'll go with it for now. It'll be, it'll, it'll be today's. Uh, we're, we're we're fine. We're just we're preferring to stream in 1080, but she's streaming in 720. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be a little bit pixelated today. And oh, how woe is me, right? So, um, so continue our conversation. Uh, Fridays, Mondays, Wednesdays, edutainment. 
What's downtime for you? So edutainment is poker. Edutainment is, uh, is reading a business book. There is no downtime, is there? Yep. So what is other downtime for me other than these activities? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I was asked this like about a year ago. What is my hobby? And honestly, I couldn't answer. And I was kind of for some time like ashamed of myself. But then I realized, you know what? It's totally fine. I think my hobby is, you know, learning more about business. Honestly, that is just my passion. And this is my downtime. So I, you know, I'm so thank you for sharing that. I I, I can sense there was this kind of a feeling of, hmm, I don't know. Because I've, I've gone through the same thing. I, I probably got a couple of years on you. And to this day, I still wrestle with, yeah, but my hobby is, is well working, but it's not really working to me. So if you put me in the lab here and roll up my sleeves and learn how to build an AI machine or build a bot or have a conversation with you, like this isn't work, right? Just like yourself, right? So I, I, I think, I think it's okay for us to have those feelings that hobbies are, you know, hobbies is, is, is hobby an old school term, perhaps? I think so. Isn't it getting outdated now? Right, like, I mean, like it is getting associated with some like new trendy things like pickleball and things like that. You know, I don't necessarily fall into those trends, but yeah, maybe maybe being less used now than than it was. Yeah, Sardar, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your wellness, your physical wellness, your mental wellness? So you know, I if one would accuse me of being a workaholic or somebody who works all the time, well, I also take care of myself and my mental self. So how do you how do you balance that part of your twenty four hours? Sure. Um, to me, you know, that mental well-being and everything is, is just talking, talking to um, my family mainly. You know, I'm very much of a, Good for a you. family guy. Not just, I'm a hard worker and entrepreneur. Um, that I think when I talk things out, anything's on my mind, you know, that puts me in a good state of mind uh, when I can talk things out in a personal level. And, and even on things that are going on in business, if I come home and, and talk to, to my family, that just, you know, it's been a better health state, I think. I do sometimes do therapy as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. on demand. Mm-hmm. Like if I do feel like I need to talk to a neutral person uh, about things that have just piled up in my head, um, definitely not. You know, I'm actually an advocate for therapy in a way that I want to remove that stigma around therapy being a thing of, oh, wow, wow, he does therapy. What's going on? What's wrong with him, right? Like there's that definitely that perception, especially my culture where I come from, uh, from Uzbek and, and Russian speaking culture, like there's that stigma around like therapy that hey, it's, it's something that what's wrong with him? Yo, he does therapy. But to me, like, you know, I think doing therapy is actually a must for everybody. So that would be my second thing. And the third thing is that I'm trying to do more of and trying to get into habit of is, is writing and journaling. You know, I think it just gives you such a clarity of mind yeah. when you journal. And you just, just slows you down your thoughts and everything. And you're able to process things that are going on in your life in a much more thoughtful way, you know? So those three are, are my mental health uh, type of kind of things that I do. Um, other than that, I try to work out, not going to lie, not very consistent with it, but try to do it at least once a week. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Hey, um, uh, the effort is what is where it was where you start, right? So you know, if you're getting there once a week, it's it's better than no, it's none per week, right? I love the yeah. foundation of family. It's obviously a, a very it's 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 my foundation. Um, would you say that that foundation has enabled your success? Totally, totally. You know, everything and anything. You know, if there's something going on in your in your 
life in your personal life that you know you're not very happy about yeah and you're not able to solve it that's definitely going to affect your life and yes. business I mean, yes and business yes so you you're not going to be able to be as productive you're not going to be able to you know keep other especially as a leader in business you know you're not going to be able to keep your team you know motivated and and be pumped like if you're not in a good mental state yourself right so that for me is a big one and it's also because i come from a family of entrepreneurs my parents are my mentors in business too you know especially my dad i consult with him on everything you know even though he's not in tech i just consult with him all the time we speak you know a few times a week at least to just kind of go over everything in life and per, and, and business mainly in business with my dad and personal life with my mom you know but totally they do they do have a big um you know impact on on business as well yeah i love it i love it uh there's a there's a sign in in the mudroom of my house that i that, that has i don't know 100 silver fish on it and there's a blue fish in the middle of it and i always say to my kids you know be the blue fish mm. uh, you uh, uzbekistan did i say that correctly yeah uzbekistan yeah yeah um, you were the bluefish, Sardor. Would I say that? Would I say it correctly? Sure. Uh, but what do you mean by bluefish? Well, you 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 swam upstream against everyone else. You were a leader. You you know oh, every, yeah. everybody was going in that direction. You clearly were grounded in your family. You clearly learned that talking was helpful. You clearly learned that therapy was even more helpful, and you clearly learned uh, very early, you know, that that was going to help you where you are today. It's it's clear to me. Am I am I correct in those assumptions? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and and that you know, yeah, regarding bluefish for sure. I've definitely been always that, that, you know, unconventional thinker, so to say, like you know, somebody who used to challenge the status quo and still does. Yeah. Especially in Uzbekistan, I used to, you know, because we were unfortunately heavily influenced by the communist um, culture for yes. almost a century, being part of the Soviet Union. Yes. You know, there's still many things that are part of the old system, the legacy system that, you know, start with the educational system. You know, unfortunately, the educational system has not evolved at all since the Soviet Union times. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Like we have more than 30 different subjects at school, all throughout first grade, all the way up to 12th grade, more than 30 different subjects. Like a kid doesn't need that many subjects. They can't even comprehend that many. Right. Versus in the U.S., when I came, I was fascinated. There's only like five, six subjects that we take at a mm -hmm, time, right? Mm -hmm. school. And I realized why that was done. is it's, it's because Soviet system was not based on like educating kids, but it was more on like creating this system of making people conform to authority, you know, just to mm -hmm. follow the regime and authority. Mm -hmm. And your teacher was the, was the authority that you had to like really respect and really follow the orders of because that brought up kids in the mindset of following the regime, following the regime, right? Because that was the whole idea and thesis of what the Soviet Union was built on. And unfortunately, some of those things have still stayed in the independent country of Uzbekistan and other post-Soviet Union countries. And I always as a kid, just kind of like intuitively not even realizing these things that I'm saying now, but I always re realized that the whole system is wrong. You know, mm -hmm. so I did go up against that stream. I mean, me being able to even like come and and uh, study abroad and and 
leave the country and everything. That is also being that blue fish, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't like the system. How do you, uh, what did your father do, Sardar? You said your father was an uh, entrepreneur. What, 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 what did he do? What did, what did you grow up watching? Yeah. So yeah, my, um, my dad was already an entrepreneur by the time I was born and, and you know, already like conscious, so to say. Um, he comes from a very humble background of very, very, um, you know, poor family, being a, a driver, a bus driver, I think he was, his first job, and then doing some other odd jobs, and then kind of coming to business by, you know, finding a mentor and just going into that. But yeah, when I was growing up, my dad was already an entrepreneur. He was still like kind of early in his career. Mm-hmm. Like he worked long hours, more longer hours than he does now, you know, so he wasn't very, very present in family, you know, and it's also part of that um, culture as well, where men are not as present in family as women are, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not expected to be as close with the family as, you know, in, in the Western culture, mm-hmm. for example, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but yeah, I looked up at my dad uh, as an entrepreneur, which is what inspired me to be an entrepreneur as well. And I think, you know, having that mentorship was just the lowest hanging fruit for me to be able to do that. It would seem that you grew up. So uh, obviously father was a big influence. Um, but the culture around you would, I, I'm going to uh, uh, assume would make it difficult to execute on being an entrepreneur. Am I correct the, in that? The, yeah. So, um, so just where, where you grew or, or where, where, where growing up was a difficult, like, is it difficult to be an entrepreneur in Uzbekistan today? I, I would say for, yeah, for some like reasons of just, you know, being kind of um, the system being not fair, yes. to, you know, to you in a way that it's, unfortunately it's corrupt, you know? Y- yes. Yeah. As they are, but is it an opportunistic place to do business for sure? Because, you know, if you can get, if you can find your ways, find your connections and, and know what to do with certain people, there's actually big opportunity to, to do business. And especially like, you know, when I was also growing up, it was the early 2000s. It was just the second decade after the capitalism was introduced mm-hmm. to the country. Mm-hmm. We were mm-hmm. able to do business. So actually, even though, yes, the system was corrupt and yeah, there were challenges of doing business, the market opportunity wise actually, it still has more opportunities than the U S market has, I would say, because, mm-hmm. In the U.S., you've had capitalism for over 200 years, and wherever you look, there's already a business there, yes. right? So it's very clear. And as Rexton, there's still some niches that nobody has just taken yet. You know, you can go and do business, and there's more opportunity that way. And I would say it's less corrupt than it was now, for sure. It's getting better. Um, so not to talk, you know, bad about the country. It definitely has seen a lot of improvement lately yeah yeah so long, long you know answer that i just gave if i you know say it in a short way it's actually not been a hurdle and if anything the the, the market environment actually inspired me to be an entrepreneur more yeah that's uh that's 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 excellent one of the themes of being an entrepreneur is is knowing how to execute is is not being afraid to fail not being afraid to fall on your face and then just trying again what does an entrepreneur mean to you? And second part of that question is, um, how do you execute consistently? Because that's the other biggest challenge for most humans is executing consistently day after day after day. How do you do that, Sardor? How do you do that? 
Yeah. So I was just talking about it yesterday, how I've recently just had this self-awareness of realizing that my, it's first of all, being self-aware and knowing your strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah. In anything. Yes. So I realized my strength is more high level ideation, vision, coming up with new ideas on how to grow, how to, you know, uh, do certain things, mm -hmm. but actual execution, like if we're talking like hands-on execution, mm -hmm. That's not me. That's actually my weakness, realize, you know. So what I started doing is I started hiring more around my weaknesses mm -hmm. and delegating more mm -hmm. than I used to before. Because mm -hmm. you know, before I used to think like, oh, sh like, you know, I have this idea. I have to go implement that myself, you know. And now my mindset actually switched to from like, how do I get something done to who do I get to do this <laughs> by, right? I, and I, that's my answer to like how I execute, you know, I have a team who's, who's going to execute and I'm more on the idea side. I give them vision and they go and like, you know, implement that. It's funny to hear you say that starter. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because I'm hearing you speak. I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on some of my own self-awareness still in my life where you're like, okay, I got this idea. I'm going to go do it. And then, yeah. and then you're like, wait a minute, it's probably better off if somebody else does it and I help them do it, right? So, but yet as an entrepreneur, sometimes it's so difficult to do that unless you catch yourself and have that awareness, isn't it, Sardor? Exactly. A lot of entrepreneurs still stay as an employee in the employee mindset yeah. of going to do things for themselves for too long, you know? Yes. They're afraid to delegate. They're afraid to, yeah, I think delegating is actually a very underrated skill. It's such yes. a... Not a simple skill, you know, because it requires a lot of trust, yep. a lot of psychology of understanding who is the right person to do certain things and a lot of patience, you know, Yes. because the odds are if you've been doing something that you're very good at, you can delegate it to somebody who's going to do it better, but that will require time and effort and patience because I was just thinking about this yesterday. You know, we we hired this girl recently, you know, three months ago, I think, mm -hmm. in the sales ops role. Mm -hmm. Just looking at how she's doing her job. Like, you know, I was at a conference on Tuesday mm -hmm. and there are certain things that she had to run by me. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I was not available because I was at a conference. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I look at Slack and I'm looking at messages and she asked me certain things like, oh, how do I do this? How do I do that? But then because I wasn't able to answer, she figured it the out. Other day she executed perfectly on those things because she didn't have access to me. And I'm like, wow, I'm so proud of her. She has really completed all these things without me. I wasn't even there online. But then I'm realizing, well, that's because it took me three months to go back and forth with her. And I would like on a daily basis, like teach her, teach her, teach her, train her, train her, train her. Right. But see, like that patience paid off, you know like a lot of these tasks throughout these three months, it would have taken me much less time to execute them myself because I knew those things better. I've done them for years, but that three months of patience now turned a lot of these things that I was doing myself into a delegated system where somebody else is actually focusing on them and actually doing a better job than me. And for me now, getting these things is just one conversation away, you know, and it gets done. Often, I would say as an entrepreneur, the hardest thing for us to do to scale is to pause, teach, and then empower. Yes. And that should be your strength and, and focus as an entrepreneur, I think, you know, because yes, a lot of entrepreneurs are in the seat of an employee and they just have a, a job that they have for themselves that they're running, you know, but 
business should not be just a job for you. It should be something that, you know, is actual business. I would say, Sardo, um, one of the, you know, I think it's the difficult thing every entrepreneur, every business has is finding talent. So then often yes. what we do is we then just hire talent. And then what we end up doing as an entrepreneur or as a leader is then we manage, then we end up managing the talent, which then ends up being, wait a minute, I didn't want to be a manager. I wanted to be a empowerer. So then yeah. we end up not doing what we should be doing, which is pausing, slowing things down and truly hiring somebody who we then can empower, who you don't have to manage. Would you agree with that? For sure. Totally. It's so difficult uh, to do though, isn't it? it? It is. It is. And a lot of people, like I said, yeah, they, they stay in that manager seat. Yeah. And uh, for too long and they don't, they don't realize it because th things don't change if you don't change them, you know, like nothing changes if nothing changes, you know, and totally you should, you should, Try to step out of that manager role as soon as you can. Delegate as much as you can, even if that means in the short term, being yes. yourself. Work. You know, because a lot of people also don't do it for the monetary reason. They're like, "Well, if I hire somebody, I have to pay them, and that's going to eat up my." Pro but believe me, it's one step backwards, but two steps forward long term. Because you know, it, it's like, for example, right now, like you know, we're hiring a director of sales, and that job, it's a very high salary job you know which means compromising some of the profits in short term mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. is it not going to allow me to be more high level than i am now yes so in the long term it's going to pay off two three x if not 10x you know yeah yeah sardor is is being an entrepreneur being a hustler to you are hustling an entrepreneur the same thing so i'd say in the beginning yes in the first few years maybe but it shouldn't be, you know, I think like the pro entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, everybody start with hustling. I think it, it, it is required unless it's not the first business you're starting. So I would say if it's one of your first businesses, you're starting, you have to hustle. You have to, you know, if, especially it's the, if it's the very first one, right. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you like, you know, when we, when I was getting into this business, it was totally hustling for me all day long. Like I would be in a family dinner and if a lead comes in, I'll step out to another room and take the call. But isn't that you know, fun though? Like, isn't that part of being an entrepreneur? For sure. hundred percent. Yeah, it, it was fun. And, you know, do I do that now? No. And if I started another agency tomorrow, I wouldn't do it now either. I would just hire right away. But yeah, in the beginning, it, it is fun. And it, it is something you have to do. I, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you, my friend. Because yeah. uh, I'm doing yeah. it again. I'm starting a new business again, yeah. right? Okay. Um, I, uh, and I feel like I'm hustling again because, uh, I want to, and I feel, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Kids are older. I'm different stage of my life. I'm like, I'm looking forward are to talking. Are you talk starting the same exact business you've done before? Or is it a completely new thing? Different. So that's why. Okay. Fair, fair yeah. comment. So fair comment. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, um, but there's something fun and there's something youthful about it. There's something exuberant about it. Do you know what I mean? There's something, there's a lot of energy yeah. in that. And you know what I've also learned too, is you kind of get older too, Sardor. You kind of give an F a little less too, right? You're like, well, nah, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to go knock on their door. I'm going to go reach out. I'm going to go say hi. And you're like, yeah. because you learn that at the end of the day, as I was talking with Nicole yesterday, nobody really cares anyways, right? At the end of the day, nobody cares. Like, oh, hey, this is, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like, it's just go and hustle, go and go and do it. I agree. Actually, there's a fun side to it, especially if you're starting something new. Yeah. Like actually that's, that's um, made a really good point. You know, one thing that really, I think uh, when you're an entrepreneur, 
you get bored out of your own business if you stay in something for too long and you always have that desire to start something new start something new we'll have new ideas with my business partner every single day that we want to execute on yes because and 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 it's so hard to say no to them because we just want to focus on the main yes i can relate and that urge is killing man it's hence i started the lab because the lab started as one thing and that ended up being kind of an incubator for ideas right that we're now now we're building these ideas into yeah right yeah but i think it's a mistake to you know when we have like ideas that are completely outside of our scope of expertise oh yeah try to do them at a cost of your own existing business because we've done that mistake before Uh, where where we went and started during the pandemic a complete new SaaS business that we had no freaking idea about. Like, you know, had we started an agency business again or invested the same amount of money into that agency, we invested half a million dollars into that product. Yeah. Burned. Yeah. Yes. I know if we invest in the right business, it would have been different. So now what we're doing is like, it's still very hard to say no to these ideas. Like yesterday, my business partner and I, we were for, three hours excitedly discussing a brand new business idea for launching a classified ads website. Yeah. <laughs> like both of us haven't done this before, but we were so excited to start it. We almost, you know, decided to do it. But at the end we decided, okay, this is way too much. Yeah. Know, I, I, right I, now. I can completely relate. Started a gig late last year, early this year, woke up early this year, looked in the mirror and said, Hmm, I'm kind of over my head with this one um yeah. not working out and had to make a pivot right and it takes courage would you not it takes courage as an entrepreneur to make a pivot and actually recognize that like you and your partner did okay we've just spent 500 grand and it's not working it's probably time to change direction right because it's easy to spend the next 500 grand isn't it sardor exactly we because we had that conversation when we were 200 grand in yeah we were like should we should we, should we right. you know stop no no let's let's keep doing let's keep we must we were like 300 grand in this is getting too much. Let's maybe stop it. No, let's do a little more. It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. When it got to half a mil, we're like, all right, we got, this is getting too much and we haven't got any money back from this. It's been three years. Let's, let's, let's just pull, you know, let's pause this at least pause. And we said pause because we couldn't say stop. You know, it's so hard to completely kill off a project that you've been working on for so long, you know? Uh, So we paused it. uh, And, (laughs) we still can't help ourselves. Like every month we remember when there's an opportunity that rings a bell about that product. We're like, Oh shit, we should go back. To it, it takes immense <laughs> discipline to stay focused. Yeah. Right. It, it really, yeah. it really does take immense yeah. discipline to stay exactly. focused. Half the battle is saying no to, to the opportunities, you know, that are actually distractions, you know, at the end of the day, because when you do one business for a very long time, which is very hard, yes, there's a reward. Because like we've been doing this agency business for 10 years and, you know, which is why we're here, you know? Yes. And had not have those, you know, half a million dollar distractions here and there, our agency business would have been much bigger too. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, yeah. One of the things I, I often encourage, I, I encourage colleagues or people I coach or, or customers or family members is work on your not to do list instead of your to do list. And it's amazing when you work on your not to-do list, how much more productive you become because it's so easy to add your to-do list. You can just go forever. You can actually go forever. (laughs) But the discipline that it takes to say, I'm not going to do that so that I can focus on this. Wow. Over time, the success you have is considerable. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had that not to do list. I was first introduced to it when I was doing like some coaching in 2020 with a personal coach. Yes. And interesting ideas. And you're like a not to do list, huh? Yes. And yeah. Was, yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna talk something with you that I read recently that you posted. Um to some might be a little controversial, I think. Uh to some might be curious, which would be this idea that Toby Lutke recently talked about canceling meetings and canceling standing meetings and this idea that standing meetings waste time and uh, we shouldn't have them on the calendar and you eloquently suggested the other that no you you think that they should be there And and i'll be really frank with you i didn't agree with you until i read the end of it and you said at the end of your post you know paraphrasing along the lines of if i don't keep standing meetings with my family members and friends then I would never meet with him. So I look at it as an opportunity to use standing meetings in my calendar for my friends and family so I can keep that personal connection. I thought that was brilliant because I do agree with Lutke that standing meetings at work are a waste of time. Um, I really strongly believe that, but I, but, I, but I really liked your philosophy of, yeah, but if you use that same philosophy with your friends and family, you're going to have a better life. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yes, yes. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I kid you not, like with some of my close friends that especially don't live in my town that we yes. don't just casually up with. Yeah. Uh, that we used to live in the same town. Now they moved or I moved, right? When they reached out to me like, oh, we should catch up. Usually like most of my conversations used to stay in like, oh yeah, we should catch up. Sure, sure. And we both forget about and it. And they never do it. Then I, started, then I started sending them my calendar link. And they were like, whoa, man, are you treating me as a, you know, a, a colleague right now? Oh, am I not your friend anymore? It, it was like funny, right? How would you send a calendar link to your friend, to your close friend? Yeah. But I said, no, no. I'm going to actually start treating some of my, you know, personal stuff in my life like I treat my business where things are way more organized. And I think it's going to add more, more, you know, systems and, and uh, better outcomes in my personal life. So it, it helped. Long story short, I've scheduled, I have five friends that I have standing meetings with either on a bi-monthly or monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And we both don't have to remember to call each other or text each other. It's just there. It's on the calendar. We both show up to the call, you know, yeah. is that easy? And uh, in some cases, yeah, we have to move or reschedule, but it's again, much easier. I, like, you know, you have to remove all possible friction to getting some things done, you know, if you want to systemize them. So for sure. Yeah. I think having standing meetings with your you know, family members or friends is, is totally uh, the right thing, you know? Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, <laughs> I don't want to say I ever thought about it, but you, you eloquently put it, which was, you know, sure, maybe for work, it might be one thing. But if you if you disconnect that with friends and family, you're really missing out. And I, I find, I find meetings a funny thing, Sardor, you know, if, if you have a meeting with your lawyer, for example, or, or I'm going to make the broader suggestion, if any human being tends to have a meeting with our lawyer, we tend to just everything's got it. We, we can't talk to anybody because I'm, this lawyer's costing me $900 an hour. And I got to, it becomes the most important thing, right? We all, we all have kind of, have to, or it's yeah. our doctor, but yet, yet, you know, Hey, my kid wants to meet with me or my daughter or my, my wife wants to meet with me. Okay. Well, I take my phone calls. I get interrupted. And it's funny how we have this complex and we have this hierarchy of how we interact at meetings. Is it not true? A hundred percent. Yeah, man. We, and we do have to, like you said, treat, treat some of our, personal meetings like with the same urgency and yeah and uh, authority yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
let, let's pivot a little bit about your business. So now my goal with the Business Athlete Performance Lab, live in the lab on a Friday afternoon here with Sardar. Great chat so far, my friend. I'm really enjoying this. I, I got to be honest, I didn't think it was going to go here, but this has been great so far. Um, Thank you. I, um, I want to talk about Jafton.com. And what I want to talk about Jafton.com, uh, and I'm going to keep giving you plugs, Jafton.com, uh, Sardar Akhmadov at Jafton.com. Um, what, what I find intriguing about your business is that you're in a business of many. You know, it's not, you're not just, you know, one, you're in a business, you're, you know, so Jafton's an app, app, app development agency, correct? Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious how you battle in a sea of many others. How do you make yourself different? How do you compete? How do you stand out? Um, because people listening to this also compete in worlds of many others. So yeah. how do you stand out? How does Jafton stand out as a, as, as a leader in your industry? Yeah. So yeah, really good question. We are in an ultra competitive space. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, there is more than 30,000 different application development agencies that at least market to the US, you know, even if they're not located in the <laughs> right. US. Because right. another thing is when you open a clothing store in the corner, you're competing with that area only. Right. Right. When you're in an online business, you're competing with the entire world. Yes. You know, because these can be provided remotely and you're competing with uh, people in India and Pakistan everywhere, yes. right? That are just Know, lowering the price so but first thing is you know the the lead gen you know the, you should be able to position yourself in the right places to be able to be discovered that's half the battle because without being discovered it doesn't even matter what you're offering because people are not going to even like discover you and find you right so that's one thing we have really good discoverability and uh you know if you if you're looking for app development the odds are you're going to see us on some of the websites on google and the second thing is once you do come in through the door now, then our offers, first of all, I mean, our experience is, you know, 10 years experience. That's like already puts us in the top 10% of the 30,000 companies there, right? The Some of the portfolio uh, projects that we have, we have big brands, uh, big logos, you know, national companies that work with us. Um, but another thing is also like, I'll tell you a story actually. I think make it anecdotal will be the best way. Yeah. Uh, we work with uh, currently Patrick Ben David and the value teamment. You know, he's uh, one of the biggest YouTube channels on business, you know, massive guy. And I've been following him since 2019, been a fan. And then last year he reached out to us and why he hired us among any other 30,000 uh, companies in the US is first of all, we were local to him. He's in South Florida. We're in South Florida. Mm -hmm. So that eliminates a lot of competition. But even in South Florida alone, there's more than 400 app development agencies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The reason he chose us is, you know, because we were not too small, but also not too big, right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And he is an entrepreneur from his experience hiring so many contractors and agencies. He's always had the best experience with the medium-sized companies. Right. Because... You're big enough to have the experience. Like we are like 120 people and been in business for 10 years, but also we're not too big to neglect him as a client. He's not one of the hundreds of clients we have. We only have 25 or so clients at the time, you know? So he still does receive that more individualistic approach and attention. I mean, his team does versus if he worked with a multi-billion dollar like Accenture that would also charge him a lot more, but also not give him enough attention, you know? So that's, I think, where 
we really stand out. We're in that perfect middle where our size is not too big and not too small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I I I found the same thing myself with it. You know, if you can find a spot within kind of the 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 budgetary range of how somebody spends money, and you can find. For example, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes you can find companies that will spend so much money before they have to have a lot of decision makers in the process. And if you can find that niche, you can get checks, checks cut to you all the time, right? It's it's finding yeah. that spot where it's not too big, not too little. And there's a decision maker who you can get directly in front of and they're just happy to cut checks, right? And then you're off exactly. to the races, right? No bureaucracy exactly. and off you go, right? Right, solving a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Sort of, you've been recognized for bootstrapping companies. Um, I, I bootstrapped my first company and had a, had a wonderful exit. Um, what are the core principles that you believe in that you could suggest to somebody who's listening to this, who wants to bootstrap their company? What would you tell them? Well, uh, first of all, pick the right type of business you want to start. Not every single business can be bootstrapped, right? Because if you're building like something like SpaceX, it's very hard to bootstrap that, you know, you don't need capital. Um, but there's certain businesses where it's way more possible than others. And one of them is, I'm going to speak from my own experience, agencies, right? Agencies is probably the most bootstrappable business, that's the word, um, on earth, uh, or one of the top three, perhaps. So what I would suggest is get very scrappy and focus on sales, first of all, you know, because an agency business, for example, in every business, actually, there's front end and there's back end, right? Front end being the brand, the marketing, the sales, mm-hmm. and then the back end being the fulfillment. So I would say a lot of rookie entrepreneurs, a lot of them make a mistake. What I've seen, they built the back end, a good back end. They hire a team, they rent an office, they make sure that the back end is working and they don't pay enough attention to front end, don't even have that figured out yet, you know? Yeah can't tell you how many clients we have. We built them apps. You know, they're taking care of the back end. They, they've outsourced their app development to us, to the best. But when I ask them what's their marketing plan, they don't have it. Or the sales plan, they don't have it. They're like, oh, well, isn't it going to market itself? Or isn't it going to be growing organically? No. If you're a, you know, an app in the app store, one of the many, one of the millions, nobody's going to discover you if you don't make that effort to be discovered. So I would say, actually, I'd argue that the front end, especially if you're bootstrapping, is more important and it has to come first, has to be figured out first. Then the back end can always be outsourced while you figure out how to do that in-house, right? So let's say you start an agency, a marketing agency, you start making sales, you start generating leads, you close the deals. Now you don't have the fulfillment. That's not too big of an issue because you can always outsource the fulfillment to another agency under white label while you start hiring your own people, you know? So that'd be my biggest piece of advice. Focus on the front end and sales first. I could not agree with you more. I, it's amazing to me, Sardar, how many people have a, uh, is it this the right word? Yeah, a lack of respect for sales and a lack of respect for sales professionals and sales experts. So when you talk about an entrepreneur or a hustler, you're talking about somebody who can sell. It's amazing to me how many people are focused on human resources and operations and every other part of the business, but they quickly forget that without sales, every single one of those titles don't exist. Nothing else exists. And it's fascinating to me how often, even in the 
corporate world where I worked for a long time, so much emphasis placed on, placed on every other part of the business. And then all the disrespect thrown on the sales side of things. It's like, ah, oh, they're just a sales guy. They're just the greasy salesperson. Well, actually, no, because if we're not selling anything, you all don't got a job. Yeah. Just bringing that revenue that pays your salary, you know, like it, it's all sales. Yeah. Which goes back to executing, which goes back to putting your foot in front of each other and just doing it. And, and that that's because that's the hard stuff. People don't want to do hard work. Would you agree with that? People don't learn from hard work. People don't want to do hard work. It's easier to be, it's easier to have bureaucracy. Am I, am I saying something true and state and controversial or, or, or how do you, as an entrepreneur, how do you feel about that? I'd say even before contra, like the, the bureaucracy, I mean, uh, a lot of people just don't, yeah, don't pay enough attention to the sales to the point where, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll think like a fancy office or, you know, a, a, a big team is going to actually like make them, you know, a legit business. But yeah, they, they, they will underestimate the importance of sales and how that should come first for anything else. Because I get reached out by a lot of agencies that say, oh, we have an amazing team of developers, but we don't have deals. Can you please give us some deals? Can you subcontract to us? Like, no, I mean, I have my own team first of all, but you know, you made a mistake of like hiring all these people without even having deals first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how often sales is, is this kind of, there's just this, there is this assumption that if we create something, people will just buy it. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. Especially if you get romanticized by the idea, a lot of uh, our clients, some of them, unfortunately, uh, startups, they get romanticized by the idea of like, you know, that their idea is so good. Yes. It's going to love it and it's going to grow, like go viral. Yes. Even if it was the best idea, I mean, I'm, I don't disagree. It might have the best idea. To For something to go viral, you need to give it a kick. You know, virality doesn't happen accidentally. I mean, it sometimes does, but even if it's sort of accidental, the person who caused it may not realize how they caused it, but they have done something, some kind of a spark and a kick that caused that virality in the first place, you know. Um there's this really good book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Tipping Point, mm -hmm. where he actually explained the science of things going viral, mm -hmm. you know, and how sometimes unintentionally people make things go viral, but there's always some kind of a cause and effect that was, you know, behind the, the virality of something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the world of app development, we've obviously been uh, inundated with... Uh, AI and generative AI discussions over the last almost year now. How has ChatGPT and the, the the generative AI world impacted your workspace? Um, yeah, so I would say it has impacted both our front end and back end. First mm -hmm. of all, on the front end, on the sales side, there's a lot more requests for generative AI projects. Even if they're not, their core is not focused on AI, they will want to add some kind of AI feature for sure. Mm -hmm. Like nine out of 10 projects mm -hmm. right now, they want some kind of AI. So mm -hmm. that's one thing. Now, on the back end, we also are using AI tools ourselves to, to make our work more efficient. You know, um, ChatGPT is like on every employee's computer. You know, mm -hmm. we actually, you know, some organizations are prohibiting are actually, we actually encourage people and mm -hmm. some of them, so we had to like, like mandated for use. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. No, good for <laughs> it you. Makes it more 
position. Yeah. yeah like, I don't know. I, got, I don't know why you wouldn't. I got, it, it's amazing exactly. to me that companies are like, no, uh, we don't want our people more productive. Yeah. 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 I don't know for, for any reason. Like they, they are afraid. A lot of enterprises are afraid of like data leakage and data security, things like that. I'll throw this at you. I'll throw this. You start. That's, those are great headlines. Those are, those are great headlines that drive clickbait. Are they real? Sure. Those are real concerns. I, I won't, I don't want to be dismissive of those real know. concerns, but yeah, might not be, but, but open AI regardless still addressed that. And they actually released the enterprise version. So no excuse. Now there's an enterprise secure version now for these big companies. If they want like end to end encryption, whatever it's there, you know, so there's definitely no excuse now to not use it. And that's one thing. Uh, that's the lowest hanging fruit. We also use uh, things like Copilot, yeah, which is you know lets you code uh, alongside with you, makes it more efficient. We also use are using generative AI products uh, within our coding and uh, building ecosystems. Like we're using um, Flutterflow right now, a local platform that yeah. has a generative AI. Feature. Yeah, yeah. You can type in. Uh, uh, name of the screen and we'll just generate that for you yeah, I've, I've played so, with it a little bit myself that's, there's some pretty cool stuff happening there yeah yeah it's actually a very good platform we were at their conference on tuesday talking to the founders and everything so um it, it's a very powerful platform so like yeah platforms like that have definitely you know shortened our time to develop apps by two three x I have to think then you use that. So then again, we go back to the question started or about competing in a, in a, in a space where there's thousands, you yeah. can use speed. Oh, yeah. You can use speed to your advantage. Aren't you? We actually are. Yeah. I forgot to mention that we are, that's one of our like advantages right now that we're using when we pitch that our speed is actually, you know, higher than uh, competition. I'll tell you something. Uh, back when I started my first company, um, I was carrying a Blackberry. I was carrying one of the first Blackberries where I lived. There was four in the, in the city and I had one of them. And yeah. I remember uh, getting a, an email back when mobile email wasn't really a thing. So I'm dating myself. Yeah. I was yeah. watching American Idol dating myself. And I got an email from one of America's greatest brands saying, hey, we need some work. And I, I responded within seconds with a proposal minutes later because... I had this BlackBerry that enabled me not to get off my coach and just respond. Yeah. I got the business yeah. as an entrepreneur, as a yeah. hustler. It was that first big contract where I'm like, Oh, and then it quickly realized it became my competitive advantage where I was always yeah. the first guy getting the proposal back because I was using my BlackBerry to beat everybody else. Wow. Wow. So to hear, wow. so, yeah. you know, so, so you as an entrepreneur who's saying, okay, I'm competing against what? 300,000 other agencies or 400 in Florida. Yeah. Okay. If there's 400 in Florida, we're going to be the fastest out of the 400 in Florida. Exactly. Exactly. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, we definitely are using that. And I think everybody should be using AI and all the possible tools. If tomorrow something else comes out, use whatever's available to you to actually increase speed. Speed actually, yeah, increases the likelihood of you closing the deal, first yes. of all. But also, even in your internal processes, that should be like when you go on our website, you go on and about us. One of our top values is actually speed, you know, Good speed and you. execution as well you know because we want our people to also know internally that we do need speed and we value speed speed gets you paid faster too sardar mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> speed gets sure. you paid faster uh hey everybody listen nine minutes to the hour here talking with sardar akhmadov live in the lab with keith billis uh we're starting to wrap up this hour great chat about entrepreneurship uh and, and so forth 
Sardar, you, you know, you're opinionated fellow, you're a leader, you have, you have, you have your mindset on things. I love it. Let's talk about remote work. You know, it's been a big challenge for uh, many organizations around the world. Uh, you're seeing a lot of back to work mandates in North America. Um, what is your opinion of that? How does Jafton uh, deal with that? Um, what's your point of view on remote work? Yeah, I would say, you know, my business partner and I have a little bit of different opinions on this. He's a very big proponent of remote work, like since before remote work was even a term. Yeah. Yeah. He had remote teams from 2005, like, yeah, you know, which early days of the internet. Uh, I as well, like I, I wouldn't say I'm opposed to remote work. I love it for the accessibility of it. I can hire talent anywhere without the limits. I love it. But um, do I want my top talent to be next to me in the office? Ideally, yes. You know, because I still believe in that human connection and, and having people next to me and having that rapport and, and relationship and team building. I think like just the, you know, at least for the time being, you know, yeah. don't get me wrong. I do believe hugely and massively excited about the augmented reality and being able to have remote employees presence. next to you. Yeah, presence. Yeah, in yeah. presence. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my ideal scenario. So mm -hmm. I, I can be in Bali and somewhere in the, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, anywhere remote location and still have my colleagues right next to me. But while that's not possible, I do like, to have an in-person office. As a matter of fact, um, not for everybody. I mean, we can't mandate it anymore. We're not in a world where we can mandate, you know, in-person work as much anymore. It's true. So although we do have physical offices, it's optional to come in. But for my salespeople, I want to mandate it. And actually moving one of my salespeople right now from Arizona to Miami. Uh, and he's down for it too, because he believes in the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that he's right next to me, and if he has any question, he don't has to, he doesn't have to wait for me on Slack. He can just ask me right away. So it's a balance, I would say, Keith. You know, while we don't have the VR and AR technologies to enable us remote work in such an efficient manner, I think we should still have some kind of a physical presence. Yeah, well said. I, you know, so my last business was a complete remote business. Uh, started yeah. at the early ages of the internet. It was completely distributed around the globe. Um, I wrote an article 2014 that I published five years before the pandemic questioning why probably like your partner questioning why uh, the world wasn't doing more like what we were yeah. doing and the benefits we were gathering from all of that. Um, but, I, but I can appreciate your point of view around not having humans with you and so forth. I was fortunate that, you know, when I, when I reflect, my core team was in my city. We didn't work together, but we were able to at least get for coffee together every now and yeah, right. So uh, the funny thing is, we just got so comfortable doing this, we just never did. Um, we 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 spent. I'm a big uh, we, like you schedule times in the calendar. We made a lot of effort throughout the year of getting people together in person, right? So mm -hmm. quarterly events, monthly events, just making sure we got human beings together. And when I talk to companies today and consulting about remote work, it's essentially having you know a remote culture architect somebody whose job is ensuring that your team is connected, right? Not letting it happen by accident because if it's going to happen by accident. You're not going to succeed because it's not going to happen by accident. But if you have somebody who's focused on that community and we built that starter with wellness, because it's something we all can do. We can play dodgeball. We can go for a walk together. We can go for a hike together and you can bring people together that way. So we found that was a way to bring people remotely together through, through wellness. Right. So, yep. um, but, but you have to make a constant, 
a conscious effort. If you don't make, just like you make conscious effort with your friends, if you don't make a conscious effort to connect with your team, it's not going to happen and you're going to fail. And that's what I think is happening with a lot of companies. And then you know what happens as a result, Sardor? The easy answer is, heck with it. You all got to come back to work. I don't want to manage this. Yep. You got to come back to work, right? So, yep. but. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, balance, yeah. Listen, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Your time's very valuable. We've been very fortunate to have you for uh, for 55 minutes. As we wrap up this live in the lab session with Sardar Akhmadov, uh, managing partner at Jafton, uh, any parting comments you have for the audience? Anything you want to leave with? Anything you've missed off? Any questions? Anything you'd like to say? No, I think, uh, you know, the only yeah, call to action is, you know, I want to be more and more um, engaged with my, with my audience and anybody who, you know, might have liked what I said, might have kind of been inspired in any way, educated. I'm, you know, that's what I'm here for. I'm trying to educate and help anybody I can as much as possible. So you can reach out to me, you know, um, and if you're listening to watching this um, on LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. If you need any help, you know, if you're early stages of your business, struggling with it, I would love to help. You know, um, that's one of the things I enjoy doing. Uh, matter of fact, I want to actually launch uh, soon a live series on LinkedIn where I'm going to be, you know, getting some volunteers in to go and like do a live consult on their business, a teardown of their, you know, landing pages, websites, conversion, lead gen, things like that to consult them live on the on the call. So things like that I enjoy doing and reach out to me if you need help with that. Um, and yeah, you can find me on all socials or Doric Medov. Awesome. I think, yeah, that was more of a closing kind of a call to action, but uh, that was, that was okay. That was great, man. That was great. I really enjoyed having you in the lab. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, If you'd like to come back again and and do some live consults and do some, you know, do some fun stuff. Let's, let's do that. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, I wish you all the best in the business and let's stay in touch. You can connect with Sardor on LinkedIn. Uh, Go go find him on all the socials. Uh, We'll be, we'll be posting a bunch of content post this show so that you guys can see this on live on demand and et cetera, et cetera. So great entrepreneurial advice today from the show. Sardor, I appreciate you joining us today. Live in the lab, I'm Keith Phyllis. Sweet the streets I used to